made it. Who are you? Oh, hello. Uh, it's Chris Dale, yeah, and Marina, yeah. Rescue? Rescue? Oh, no, 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 no. See, we're just looking for a quiet spot to do this week's randomizer, and we thought the Bank of England vault might be just the place. Um, take the machine through for me, Marina. Y you see, it's another long one this week. Here's UFO with the responsibility seat. This is ridiculous. <laughs> So we're back for some more UFO. I believe this is our fourth visit to UFO on the randomizer. Um, to an episode that I, I don't honestly remember being one of the greats. I know it's not one of the worst, but um, this is one that uh, I'm not too excited to see come up. How's everything going? Oh, quiet. Good. I hate episodes of UFO where things are happening. That's just terrible, I like. I want to talk to you about the new leave roster for Moonbase. It'll have to be changed. And who tells them? So this is going to be an episode of UFO dealing with uh, admin problems. Well, at least so far, anyway. Straker. Joe Fraser is in reception, sir. Who? The reporter from the press agency. There we have it. Another, another Fraser. You agreed to the interview last week. So many Frasers in the Jerry Anderson universe. It's uh. Well, you're head of the studio. It's you he wants to interview. It's got to be the most, I would say it's got to be the most common surname in the Anderson universe. Paul is undoubtedly the uh, most common first name. It won't be that bad. GPA will syndicate the story and keep the rest of the press off your back. Yeah, so here we have this uh, reminder that Commander Straker is actually in charge of a, a huge film studio. Well, supposedly, um, we never quite knew what uh, who Harlington was. It was Harlington Straker, but we never knew who Harlington was. And, um, Before we start, I must tell you that I'm a very busy man, Mr. Fraser. Oh, he thought it was a man. It's actually, it's actually a girl reporter. I must apologise. My name is Josephine Fraser. God, these girls. They get up to all sorts nowadays, don't they? World, Joe is more convenient. Uh, played by uh, Jane Merrow, who was um, girl of the week in a lot of ITC shows like The Saint and The, the Baron and all that. But for some reason... In this episode, she is dubbed. You uh, tape record the interview and take notes? I noticed the microphone in the front of your purse. Oh, that's to ensure I don't misquote you. And the notepads for my impressions. And the, the voice isn't too far from... First impressions are so important. ...from Jane's natural voice. I believe she's dubbed by... An actress called Nikki Vanderzil, who is thank you, skydiver. I'll tell Commander all over these ITC shows. Um, quite a lot of dubbing in this and Space 1999. Oh, oh dear! I just waffled over uh, one of the more awkward moments of the show. We'll, we'll gloss past that. But um, yeah, she's probably best known for Trench, Sylvia Trench. I admire your luck, Mister Bond. James Bond. That. The age of chivalry was dead. Oh no, I have to go up on the studio lot. It's on the way. I can't. Bye. I can't really think that Jane would have been giving a, a catastrophically different performance to all the other ones she gave during the ITC era. So I can't figure out why this change was made. But uh, anyway, oh, she's uh, done with the interview. Left her handbag behind. Well, thank you. You've been very kind. A pleasure. Aww. Good old Ed. He's a, he's a gentleman. Oh, he's gave her a little cheeky grin. Yeah, always a, an odd reminder that uh, Ed Straker, the man who uh, 
essentially has the uh, the safety of the world in his hands is also the head of a film studio and he has to deal with those problems. Commander Straker. And yet Ford will call his office calling him Commander Straker. Which is the uh, the catalyst for this entire episode, of course, but I just I find that I would have thought that would be rule number one. If you're gonna call Straker's film studio office from Shadow Control, do not use Commander Straker that Miss Fraser, I didn't expect you back. I left my handbag. I'll get it for you. No, it's all right. I'll get it. Stand by. Now we think, uh, we think Strake is about to bite the bullet. When I get the word. Oh, men are aiming, aiming guns on him. And those white trousered uh, legs are walking along, walking along, and... Now! And even though that's not Straker, and this is all just part of a, a film they're shooting on the set, that is a really gruesome um, bit of blood splattering on that guy's face. And of course, it's just a massive coincidence that he happens to look like Straker. Uh, good morning, Roy. Well, good morning, Mr. Straker. Well, you died beautifully. Thank you. I don't get much on the blood, though. Oh, by the way, Roy, we finally got that contract matter all straightened out. By the way, Roy, you sound like Lieutenant Ford. Uh, have that checked out, will you? So, the um, longest... I think I would, would have to guess this is the longest teaser in UFO history. We are what? Eight minutes in. We finally get those three magic letters. And, um... For such a long opening, it was very confused. Well, not, not so much confused as just sort of, huh, okay, we're going with this then. Um, some kind of intrigue relating to the film studio side of things. And I can't remember if I've said this before, but um, I loved a, a little detail that was introduced in, I think, one of the novelizations regarding the, um, the output of the film studio is that Straker set up the film studio essentially um, to make a loss, to churn out just unremarkable rubbish um, in the hopes that nobody would look too closely at the studio and, and discover shadow control underneath. But unfortunately, the public really liked the rubbish that Harlington Straker Studios put out, which really annoyed Straker because they have to keep making it. I thought that was a lovely bit of backstory. Uh, uh, only Miss Fraser. She came back for her handbag. She left it in your office. You didn't let her go in there. Well, only for a moment. <gasps> Ultra super duper maximum security of Shadow is just sort of uh, being relaxed a bit today. Straker, voice print positive, identification commander Straker. I suppose it is nice that um, they've realised that having Straker work, having Straker having to deal with film studio business and alien busting business in the same office could potentially be a problem. I think first impressions are so. Alec Ford. I love the way they look at each other. There's like, oh, oh God, what now? What have we done now? Did anyone call me during the last 15 minutes? I bleeped you on the studio a lot. No, I mean the office up top, over the intercom. Well, yes, I tried there first. What did you say? Well, just Commander Straker. There was no reply, so I clicked off. Commander Straker. Well, thank you, Ford. And Ford doesn't even seem to twig that he probably shouldn't have said that. How could I be so stupid, Alec? But Straker's going to blame himself. Tape recorder. It was left in the office. 
The chances are it picked up Ford's voice over the intercom. Assuming it was picked up, what could it mean to anyone? Not a lot, I agree. But maybe just enough for that woman reporter and her press friends to start snooping around. It was a girl. Oh, that's piqued yes. Alex's interest. This is a very tenuous hook to, to lay an episode on. Get on to the global press agent. Someone might have heard something a bit suspicious. Oh. It's urgent. Yes, sir. What was she like? Hmm? Would she go out with me? Intelligent. Attractive? W would you rate her out of ten? Ed, I need to know these things. Yes, Miss Eland? I just called the press agency, sir. They've never heard of Miss Fraser. But they say she is pretty. All the other agencies. I want her found. Intelligent. Attractive. And a possible security link. Maybe we should in institute a rule saying don't call Commander Straker up top. That's just one step away from saying, Commander Straker, aliens are coming. Aliens everywhere, sir. Well, I still think I should go. Well, it's simple enough, Alec. Find Miss Fraser and get the tape. Now, I'm in charge of a multi-billion dollar organization dedicated to protecting the Earth from aliens, so clearly I'm the best person to deal with this, Alec. The responsibility seat. The uh, other side of the fence. Because, you know, it's not like Shadow don't have their own ruthless security force. Few hours. No, Ed's going to deal with it himself. But I'm sure he's got no ulterior motive in that department. No, 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 no. Oh, good. Something's happening. Place on positive track. Range, 20 million miles. Closing. Termination? It should be through any second. Is it Southern England? Tell Moon Base to launch the interceptor. It's probably Southern England. Red alert. Red alert. Yeah, a bit of funky interceptors. Although I'm, I'm always worried whenever I see the interceptor launch sequence. Um, because the... The lid of each of the launch silos only just retracts far enough in time not to collide with the uh, the missile on the front of the interceptor. It, bu it bugs me every time. Just a, just a a split second either way could have led to disaster, which is more interesting than anything that's uh, happened so far. Straker is checking hotels. Oh. We interrupt this uh, exciting phone call action to bring you some space adventure stuff. Five million miles. That was a radar showing three contacts near one contact, but we have three interceptors and three UFOs, so... And also that shot from the Dalatek affair, they keep reusing of three UFOs scope past, and one of them leaves behind that little jamming device, like a star in the centre of the screen. That always bugs me as well. Well, that's two UFOs down. Missile three not confirmed. UFO changing course, moving out of range. Keith, stop doing your interceptor pilot impressions. Uh, so one UFO has got through. And Alex not too pleased about that. I have a sighting bearing green 042. Maintaining stationary position at 50,000 feet Earth's atmosphere. Ooh. Could be that UFO. But there's no hurry. Oh, we're not even going to follow that scene. We're back with Straker. Hmm. I think I'm beginning to see why... Oh, no, we're back to the... What is happening? Yes. 
We're back at Shadow Control now. Mr. Straker on the line, sir. He wants to know how things are going. Tell him everything's fine. No trouble. Straker's on his phone while driving. That's never a good thing. But we have an unidentified radar trace. Yes. Then something's there. I guess so, but... And it could be that... You don't have to do anything. It's stationary. In my opinion, it's a million to one against. Just because we know one got through. We'll maintain a full alert radar track. No. Launch Sky One. Tell Waterman to investigate. Hmm. Yes, sir. Oh, so Ford isn't uh, isn't all on board with Alex's decision there, but uh, of course he's going to carry it out anyway. This is Shadow Control to Skydiver. Launch Sky One. Investigate possible UFO. Roger Control. Out. Launch stations. Launch stations. I'm also looking at the um, the the uniforms of the skydiver personnel. Everyone seems to have different coloured trousers. I know the tops are fairly um, fairly uniform, except for the uh, the colour around the collar, which I think denotes rank. But everyone seems to have different uh, different trouser. Uh, arrangements. You can tell I'm really gripped by this episode that uh, I'm looking at uh, everybody's trousers. Checking boosters. So, from in order of uh, darkest to lightest trousers, we have uh, Sylvia Howell's trousers are, are the darkest, Gordon Maxwell's are somewhere in the middle, and then Lieutenant Master's trousers are almost the same colour as his top. I don't know what this symbolises, if anybody uh, could, could explain it to me. Anyway, Lou Waterman's taken to the air in Sky One, and I, I, this may be a slightly heretical thing to say, but I always prefer Lou Waterman to, uh, to Peter Carlin. I don't know, he just, I, I really don't know, but it, I just prefer the guy. I think I can see it. He can see it. Yep, he can see it. He can see it, and it's not a UFO. Panic over. It's a weather balloon. Freeman can't handle weather balloons. He's leaving. He's going to go and hide in Straker's office. Um, well, that was something. Anyway, 57 hotels later, Straker has finally found Miss Fraser. Miss Fraser. How did you find me? The studio gate logs all license plate numbers. From that, I got your address. Who do you work for? Myself. And sell whatever you get to the highest bidder, huh? Look, I'm sorry I lied. But if I hadn't said I was from GPA, you wouldn't have seen me at all, would you? Just give me the tape, Miss Fraser, and we'll call it a day. So this doesn't look suspicious at all, that the head of the studio would come and, uh, come after this tape personally. But she's giving it back to him. You played it back. There wasn't time. Oh. I don't know how she's only just managed to get home herself, but oh, now she smacked him over the head. Taking the tape and a handbag and legged it. Poor old Ed. Now we have a car chase. Unfortunately, much of it is a back projection car chase. Oh, oh no, this is... Uh... There are some nice sort of, you know, real on-location type shots here. I mean, that, that doppelganger car seems to be going very fast, for once. Um, oh, some nice close-ups of it. This almost looks like it was shot on a racetrack. But then we have these um, insert shots of them looking at each other, which are on, you know, that they're in the car in the studio with the uh, back projection or whatever it is speeding along behind them. 
And that bit where they pull up alongside each other is... Ooh. Yeah. Which is a shame, because actually this is, uh... Has been a reasonably effective sequence. Oh. And that was that. So Jane has crashed her car. Ed's going to, uh... I don't know, try and get the tape back again, probably. Oh, enough of that scene. Well, why don't you say it? If you just sign this, please, sir. Oh, get out of here. Even a practice launch for skydiving needs an authorization. Hold it, please. I'm sorry. Oh, it's just... Alec can't handle this pressure. He just really cannot handle it. Can you imagine what Straker would have said? Yes, sir. Would say, what the heck happened to the regular Alec Freeman? Why have we got this wuss this week? Because this is um, very out of character behaviour for Alec. We we've seen him in positions of um, command and and under pressure um, before, and he's never reacted so. Oh, what would Straker do? What would Straker do? Um, he was with the Air Force, I believe. We learned that in Confetti Check A-OK. -okay. That's basically the only thing we know about his history. Failed. So he should be able to to handle the... Uh, I've only had one article published in the last month. ...the pressures of command better than he does here. I have a theory, as Dr. Einstein would say, as to uh, why exactly that is, and um, perhaps we'll get more into that later. For now, we're off to the moon, because... Well, we haven't been there this week so far. Is it still there? Yes, Lieutenant. Ask Colonel Foster to come in and get control. He'll want to speak to Commander Straker. Right. And this is... This feels like the point where they realised we, we really do not have enough material for this episode. So now we bring in another subplot. I have Colonel Foster on the video link, sir. Oh, thank you. Oh, just it makes my day. Hello, Paul. What's your problem? Well, we've picked up radio signals about 50 miles east of the base. It's some sort of vehicle. It's moving on an erratic course, but... Yeah, this runaway um, moon vehicle plot, which suddenly turns up halfway through the episode. Radio contact, but no joy. If it maintains its present course and speed, it'll run straight into us. Ooh. It'll be a couple of hours before there's any real danger. Well, get onto it right away. There. I made a decision. God, I'm a real man. Lieutenant? I want an immediate rundown on all installations on the moon operating surface vehicles. There, I did that too. Yeah, my theory regarding um, Alex's general uselessness in this episode. Um, this is this is headcanon, which I, you know, I think there's there's room for because ultimately all of this is just fiction, and it's up to each of us to uh, to sort of rationalise it in in their own way. I. Um, I feel that at some point after a question of priorities, spoiler alert, by the way, spoiler alert, um, Freeman found out about the death of Straker's son. It's a dirty world. Sometimes you have to cut a few corners. And he... To get what you want. ...realised, oh, wait, if I hadn't given the order to divert that um, transporter that was carrying the medicine that would have saved his life, then maybe he wouldn't have died. So I think Freeman found out, blamed himself, and that accounts for so much of why he has no... Let's say I'm... No faith in himself in this episode. Um, You've heard it. There's nothing on screen to 
to back that up at all. It's just, it, it. I think it would be a very UFO kind of thing because Straker clearly didn't tell Freeman, and I think if Freeman found out later, he wouldn't necessarily tell Straker. You don't believe me. He would just try to to live with a live with the the idea that he had indirectly or directly, if you want to be a a bit cruel, caused or contributed to the uh, the death of his best friend's son. Again, that's just headcanon, but it... Well, what do you think? It's the only way I can rationalise the fact that Freeman is suddenly this... Uh, Thanks. ...incompetent, timid... He's almost on the point of crying in some scenes in this. Right, sir. I open the door, let Ford out. I, I'm a real man, I can do man things. Interceptors one, two, and three. Immediate launch. Now we just have this long, pitiful shot of Freeman just sat in... Straker's office twiddling his thumbs. Ah, what'll what'll solve that problem? What solves all Freeman's problems? A nice little drinky from the drink cabinet in the corner. And we're now at Straker's house because I kind of waffled over uh, the fact that with um, Joe Fraser having um, hit Straker over the head with a very heavy object, which could potentially have uh, cause severe brain damage and then him causing her to crash her car he then bought her dinner and has taken her back to his house which is I think the only time we see Straker's house in the show well I'll get things moving in the kitchen can I help you oh no okay they didn't have dinner they just had drinks I left the wine in the car I'll get it he's bought her wine oh thanks I, I don't see the progression from possible security risk to um and she hit you over the head and could have killed you why are you why what wow no yes miss Eland. i have commander straker on the line sir oh, you better tell him tell him i miss him and i want him back and this is a scary job and i don't want it anymore <laughs> back tomorrow morning oh miss Eland, i want you to do a voice check for me it's Miss Fraser. You mean a G6, sir? Yes, that's right, Miss Eland. The full G6. Hello, Miss Eland. You're working very late tonight. As this is part of a cunning plan to um, check out Miss Fraser's credentials. You know, aside from the credentials of smashing Straker's head in with a... Well, uh, why don't you help yourself to a drink and I'll go out and break out the can opener. Hey. Hmm? Why is she letting him loosen his house? No, wait, why is he letting her loose in his house? Why? I mean, it's nice that he's thought she might be uh, a bit dodgy in enough to, to run the check. But again, I don't understand that check, because they're going to match her records based on a recording of her voice. Um, now, photographs, fingerprints, no, 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 none of that. We're just going to match it to her voice, because, as we all know, anybody who commits a crime always... Um, does so with with words um with a lot of speaking yeah it, it's probably a side effect of not having enough story and having too many subplots that the um the straker fraser relationship in this doesn't really have time to get to develop naturally to the point where they need it to be for the end of the story so straker just kind of looks like a complete buffoon you know she hit me over the head um she she bugged my office. She ran away when I uh, tried to get that recording back, but uh, 
I'm gonna take her home and give her dinner. No, Ed, you're a terrific cook. I just follow the instructions on the can. And it's a very oddly decorated house that Straker has as well. If you're expecting any sort of uh, revealing insight into his character, the house itself doesn't doesn't do that. There's one line here that does, though. You know, you have a nice home here. It's a place to sleep. You know, it's funny, Joe. I enjoyed today. Particularly the part where you nearly caved my skull in. I, I, I like things like that. So basically, Straker felt sorry for her because she's not been doing very well on the whole uh, freelancing thing. And I can relate, but... Uh, base about 120 miles east of Moonbase. Yeah. Russian? Yes, it's a mobile... Nobody's taken me home and given me a, a candlelit dinner and wine. Get onto their base. Tell them, unless they divert their machine... I'll explain the situation, sir. Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you for saving me that job. We understand your concern, but we still can't uh, establish radio contact with the crew. Uh, send out a moonmobile. Try to establish visual contact with the crew. Right. I would have to wonder as well what... Um, if there are any, like, under underground installations at Moonbase, sort of somewhere where the crew can can hide out if in case of for instance you know a runaway russian thingy driving into them um or do they just evacuate in the interceptors and the mobiles i don't know anyway we're back at uh, straker's groovy pad and uh we're having a bit of post dinner sexual tension because if you're a fan of awkward silence and uh people staring at each other from across the room this is the episode for you and it's a shame because ed bishop and i think jane merrow as well are, are, are trying their best with this but it's just so contrived i repeat she tried to cave his skull in with a really heavy ornament thingy and now he's like well that turns me on i'm going to take her home with me oh the music's building she sat down beside him that hair a bit of a stroke. <sighs> I'm you know what I miss? I miss dialogue. I miss I miss people talking to each other. Oh, now we're back with the Russians. I'm not sure which I don't I'm not sure where I'd rather be with this episode really. We should be making visual contact any minute. Oh, actually, no, I, I am where I want to be. I'm with Paul Foster. And in an episode where Straker is... I don't know, and Alec is just Mr... Mr. Timid. Foster is the man. Foster is the man to stick with, I think. Oh, that'll be Alec crying into the phone again. Straker. So Miss Eland has come back with the result of this voice check. And uh, Joe's sneaking off to uh, his bedroom. I see. No, that'll be all right. Right. I can't believe the woman who tried to cave my skull in is a bad one. How could I have been so wrong? And here we are with this scene that... Um, I think is the reason this episode got uh, bumped back in the day. I, I don't think it was shown on first run in the UK, and then when it was 
finally shown it was kicked to like 11.30 at night because of this, uh, I mean, still today rather... What's the matter, eh? For UFO, rather racy scene of uh, of um, Jane Merrow in her undies. Get out. What's wrong? I know. That's what's wrong. Oh. He knows that this woman who did a load of bad things did a load of bad things. article published in the last month. A car on hire. I also feel for Jane struggling to uh, get back into this leftover doppelganger costume. The hard way. She's having trouble with nothing seems to make sense for her. Have mapped out for me. Did you plan to take me for all you could get? You invited her back to your place for dinner. You idiot. You could have just taken her to the police. Um, and said, hey, she assaulted me. She left in that pretty little head. You must be getting soft. That's the way you get eaten alive. That's where you can really notice the dubbing. Oh, you wouldn't understand. That's the doorbell. It's a man's world, remember? So that was the postman um, delivering a parcel. I bought uh, the Complete Mission Impossible TV series on uh, DVD for £35 from HMV, which... Uh, quite a bargain, I suppose. I've never actually seen any of them, but I figure, you know, Martin Landau, Barbara Bain, Peter Graves, Leonard Nimoy, I'm bound to get something out of it. It's got to be more interesting than this. Should we put Mission Impossible on? And you know, I I notice um, sometimes people say, oh, Chris was down on this episode. I, I really like it. I, get me a direct radio link. With the exception of one episode, I don't hate any um, any Jerry Anderson episode out of the 500 odd it's just some are, are better than others and some are a warning shot are look you're less than five miles from moon base that's a civilian vehicle fire that shot i'll take the responsibility do you read me <laughs> look give us a couple of minutes we're gonna try something here we go foster has had enough of alec wishy-washy alec it's time for a real man to do real man things what would shadow do without paul foster I mean, it's like imagining, yeah, what would Moonbase Alpha do without Alan Carter, or what would Spectrum do without Captain Magenta? So Paul Foster has left the uh, vehicle, and we get this odd shot of him looking in the direction of the um, oncoming Russian vehicle that he's going to try and jump on, which is reused footage from Survival because you can see the reflection of the alien in his visor. So just for a moment, it looks like he's got out of the vehicle to have a meeting with an alien. Anyway, model vehicles driving past model Foster, and we think he got on board. Has he made it? I'm not sure. I can't see him. If he's not inside... He probably got run over, and that means I'm in command of Moonbase, I guess. Oh, he made it. Of course he made it. He's Paul Foster. Ah! Oh, it, look, it's Paul, it's Paul Foster, buddy! Hey! Oh. Listen, they're both incapable. The air pressure's down. They could be suffering from anoxia. How far away is it now? 1,500 meters. This is a red emergency alert. Seal all airlocks. All personnel to carry out decompression drill. Oh, so they don't have any shelters or anything in case of, I don't know, alien attack or... Uh, Runaway vehicle collision. They just sort of get onto the Russian base, close the doors, and hope for the best. The uh, quickest way to stop it 
is to throw the red master power switch. Left of center on the control panel. Right. And now we have this very odd shot where um, Gay and Joan have put on spacesuits. And Joan is looking out the window onto a model set and for some reason the... This would take someone far more technically minded than me to explain what's going on, but... Leftover Sidewinder music. Um, The way the these shots have been integrated... The yellow spacesuits have suddenly turned white. I mean, maybe these are genuine white helmeted spacesuits. I don't think they... I, oh, I put up my hands at this point. I don't know what's going on. We need to stop the uh, runaway vehicle, though. Throwing the big red lever. Yeah, that, that must be a goof in the colouring, because... Um, Joan's purple wig is now ginger, so they must have dialed the colour down for some reason to make these uh, to make the, these opticals work. Foster's knocked out one of the Russian guys, but the other one's picked up a spanner. Oh, it's getting close, getting very close. Joan and Gay, yeah, Gay's um, wig has turned ginger as well. <laughs> oh dear, I forgot. Yeah. There's a, a sudden insert shot in this of Freeman looking utterly baffled, which looks like it was shot like several weeks later. He's just got this expression on his face of like, am I even in this episode anymore? Oh, uh, because Foster saved the day with like, oh, an inch to spare before it ran into Moonbase. So Moonbase is saved, the Russians are saved. Um. That was about as exciting as this episode gets. And actually, for a subplot that comes in fairly late in the story, it is. Inducing a sort of drunkenness. It's always good to see Paul Foster save the day. Drinking too much whiskey. We call it inoxia. As Lord knows, Straker and Freeman haven't acquitted themselves very well this Except week. Except our description would substitute vodka for whiskey. Because we are Russian, you see. Good morning, sir. Ford, you were pretty quick with the voice print. Hello, New Zealand was enough. The international crime computer did the rest. She's got a record as long as your arm. Is she wanted by the police? Not at the moment, but she won't stay out of trouble for long. Her kind never do. Maybe. Where's Colonel Freeman? In your office, sir. Crying, wet himself. I put up a wet floor sign. Hello, Alec. Hello. Well, I hear you had quite a day. My god, it was only one day. Freeman was in charge for one day and he completely went to pieces. Seemed longer. Tough decision. It wasn't quite like that. Well, whatever way it happened, Alec, you were responsible. I certainly have to hand it to you. Hmm? That Miss Fraser, she didn't have you fooled for a moment. That'd be me, I'd have probably got myself emotionally involved or something. (laughs) Uh... Yes, I can see how it could happen. I guess irony can be pretty ironic sometimes. It's all yours. Now, the uh, other side of the fence. Hmm. So, um, did he ever get the tape back? I know he got it back and she then hit him over the head and stole it and ran away again. Um, well, that was the responsibility seat. And 
as I said at the start, it's not the worst episode because I think there are some er certain earlier episodes that are far worse than this. This just seems a bit confused in its focus and in its characterization. This feels to me more like an episode where um, that they've realized they're not giving their lead actor enough to do. So they, they try to make up for it with a story like this, but they don't really... They haven't quite figured it out yet. Unlike later, where in you know episodes like Time Lash and Mindbender, Ed Bishop is you know, front and centre, as he should be here, they're still kind of trying to figure out what exactly they can do with him. I also think this is the episode with the extra bit of music on the end. There. Which was left over from the square triangle. That, that sting was when Patrick Moore suddenly appeared here. It just turns up randomly because, uh, I don't know, something, something notable about this episode. 